Joining us today is the creator of Recursed, one of the best puzzle games you can get on Steam right now. He's also the diabolical mind behind Ponky Doom, as well as tons of other creative and evil projects. Our conversation with Port Ponky, coming up. When, when, when does it get fun? When does it get fun? Well, I guess this is the part where we pretend that we haven't been talking the whole time, and uh, we just start the episode. How you doing, Ponky? I'm good. Nirvana, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm, you know, I wouldn't call myself wide awake right now, but, <laughs> you know, I'm here. I feel I feel called out for that, for asking you to get up so early in the morning. No, I mean, it's not actually early in the morning. It's like 10. But... Are we fighting? Is this a fight right now? <laughs> it's our first fight. Live on the air. <laughs> in front oh, no. of Ponky? I think, and I. <laughs> you still love each other. Like, I don't right? want to call anyone out here, but I think Ponky caused it. Actually, I think the tension's risen. Let's do the thing where we stay together for Ponky, and then he can just pick up on the animus in the household for the the formative years of his life, where we just hate each other, but we don't just separate, and then this it is marks him forever. A weirdly real place in comedy to go for what is the first couple minutes of this hey look at this is our first guest by the way we've alienated <laughs> yeah. immediately by blaming for our failed podcast marriage the pressure got to us what can you say what can you say you can say sorry, sorry. Yeah. yeah sorry comes to mind that's how i know it's the right answer is we came to the same conclusion there well before we started uh we were talking about ponky doom which you so brilliantly made uh, in like a week in your spare time, and then tortured me with on stream. And uh, Nirvana, you <laughs> said that you uh, you had some questions about that. Well, I think like before we started, while we were talking about it, I described it as the only funny Doom joke I'd ever made. Because uh, for the most part, I feel like when people make a joke, well, I mean, they're either like 11, or which means, you know, by default, they're not funny. Or they're just like incredibly heavy handed. But what I really liked about Ponky Doom was just that it'd be some very subtle change to the game that, um, <laughs> <laughs> and you wouldn't expect it. And it wouldn't be like some massive, hey, look at me, I'm a joke kind of thing. It, it was always uh, just something you were completely unprepared for. Oh, it's so good. So good. So just for, yeah, go ahead. We should maybe clarify what Ponky Doom is, exactly. because unless you've watched one specific video on YouTube, this is going to be very confusing. So Everyone's watched that video. Come on. Everyone has. It's <laughs> it's us. So the the story is, it wasn't just a casual comment you said uh, so bad. You said, oh, if, if Ponky made a Doom port, I would play it immediately. I can't remember. It was just some some joke. And then uh, I, I, that sort of flipped a switch in my head. Like, I could make a Doom port. I mean, the source code's right there. It's not difficult to compile. I got a lot of experience in that kind of thing. So, <laughs> what should I put in a Doom port? <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> I got a few people together. A, a council of trolls. And uh, we just came up with a lot of changes to the game. <laughs> with a focus on psychological torture. <laughs> Pretty much everything was wired through random functions. So just monsters would generally be normal, but then sometimes they would, you know, walk backwards or they would be 
invisible or they'd run away from the player rather than towards them or like they'd shoot three shots at once which i don't think you ever saw i don't think so i didn't even yeah, know you did that there were some of them they shoot like the the mancubus like they spread shot or they'd have homing missiles and it was just it was just like one in 30 monsters would have a different trait and the guns would randomly do different things and even like the sectors uh like if you press a switch that raises a a door or a lift or or whatever sometimes that would go like too fast or too slow um, but it was all wired through random functions, so it's just really unpredictable. And uh, yeah, then we made so bad play it. Nirvana hit the nail on the head with like it just being the exact opposite of heavy-handedness because the subtlety was so elegant that I was seeing ghosts after like twenty minutes, where I thought revenants were taller. <laughs> and you hadn't changed the height of the revenants at all, but I was so sure the revenants were taller. Oh, I wish I had. <laughs> Oh, it was so good. It was so amazing. Yeah, the, the homing rocket on that one cyber demon was amazing. The fact that you would take damage when you were invuln, but only a very small percentage <laughs> of the time, so you might not notice. Oh, uh, yeah, there was a lot of good stuff. We basically just thought of everything in the game, went through and just randomly messed with it. And uh, yeah, that was that was good fun. See, because <laughs> Surprisingly easy to do. The key to good torture technique is making the inmate torture themselves. So. It works perfectly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess. I think <laughs> it really... the unpredictability was what was really getting to you. I think humans really like making patterns, like finding the logic and rules, but everything was just bouncing through the random function, so stuff would happen just completely at random. Like, it would happen three times in a row and then not happen for, like, two more maps. Yeah, and I remember interpreting it as, like, you had done it on a monster-by-monster -monster basis, was what I thought I was yeah. figuring out. So I go, oh, okay, so the the shotgunners have 5,000 health. That's what you did with the <laughs> shotgunners. And then I try to notice what you did which e with each individual monster. But yeah, I was just seeing ghosts in the code because it was all just completely random from these traits. And oh man, your, your Billie Jean effect where there would be a particular <laughs> monster and when it would walk into a sector, it would either set the brightness to max or min. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so funny. I think oh, though it's but yeah, that speaks, stuff tickles me. Yeah, I think it speaks a little bit to like if you had played like if I went and played it now, I would not have the same experience because I've seen it played. And like I think like it was entirely reliant upon the person being surprised by the changes and also not like you said, sort of not understanding how things were changed or or why. And then <laughs> like the attempt to figure them out also being sort of part of the experience which uh i feel like like with a lot of games these days with twitch and everyone's got a youtube channel and you can just google a game and instantly find footage like full gameplay like full playthroughs of games i think a lot of people are like happy to like watch something and then play it and i wonder like how much people are ruining their own experience sometimes maybe you don't get things like uh, Castlevania, Symphony of the Night, where you can beat the game. I, I don't know if you played it, but you can beat the game, you can kill Dracula, and it's all good. But if you get the, the secret item, you can see there's a thing controlling Dracula. I don't actually know if it's Dracula. The last boss guy, anyway. I think it's Dracula. And if you do, if you beat the last thing, then the whole castle gets flipped upside down, and there's like a whole other half to the game. Uh -huh. Like, if that came out today, you would know about that. 
10 minutes after it's released. Yeah. Everyone would know. It's not, there's a different landscape to these sort of things. It'd probably just be in the marketing copy for the game. <laughs> yeah. You know, pre-order Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Yeah, exactly. There's two <laughs> an campaigns. entire second half of the game. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the I think this is like a perfect example, actually, because I think it not only does it mark like a very specific specific example of like where that experience got ruined for people. It also I think marks like a big around where the turning point started to happen of of people starting to like find things out immediately, and it's with Halo 3, uh, they had these, like, little skulls you could find as Easter eggs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the skulls. Yeah, and you would, um, they would have various effects on gameplay, like, you could activate them afterwards, so when you ran back through a level, um, you'd have, like, I don't know, like, Grunt's heads would explode with, like, party, like, a little party popper sound, and, like, confetti would fly everywhere, or, or they might, like, you know, do something detrimental to the game. Uh, to make it more difficult for you. But some of them were, like, really hidden. And one of them in particular... Um, I think I already know which one you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, so there were seven... You had to grenade jump up. No, no. The, the, it was a, I think it's in the last level of the game. Um, there are seven, like, there are projections, like, holograms of the oh, halos. Oh, yeah, you have to... Th- yeah jump through some sequence of them yeah so you have to jump through a sequence of them because each one plays a note and it plays like the first seven notes of the halo theme i think it was oh and that's how you got the skull to appear but within you know the first day of the game coming out people data mine that information and they just put it online uh and the developers (laughs) bungie were like well we're just like we don't even want to put secret stuff like that in the game anymore because, <laughs> like, they put, like, a lot of care into coming up with that concept. They were, like, really excited to see people go out and, like, discover it on their own. And then, like, instantly that information was out there and the experience was just kind of ruined. I think I got that skull. I never knew that's what it was. I just yeah. remember looking up, like, oh, you have to jump through the second one, then the fifth one. <laughs> So it's pure math for you? Yeah, it's just, like, I I didn't know how it was worked out. I was... I think that's what it was. I think it played notes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that might be right. Do you think any of that uh, is affected by your expectations as to whether or not the game you're playing is a puzzle game and your own resistance to spoilers in that regard? Like, if that same kind of Easter egg situation was in a puzzle game, do you think it would take longer for it to be spoiled? Because there's maybe more of a collective respect there or do you think it it doesn't matter i think it's more about the machine of games journalism where a lot of the articles that need to be produced are guide articles and they're because they get a lot of clicks so it's really just about like you know journal game journalists are looking to put out these articles as quickly as possible and so they're going to appear no matter what i think there there are two at least two good examples of puzzle games that have weird easter eggs. The first I would say is Braid, uh, which has a bunch of secret stars that you can get, and then you get like the special ending. And some of them are pretty hard to find. There's one where you have to leave a level running for like two hours. And I remember they were figured out fairly quick, but that, I think it was like pre-YouTube days. And the other good example is Fez, which has also got tons of random Easter eggs 
and I think there's still some that haven't been figured out. Or there's like one, there, or like a lot of them got data mined, so they they knew like, oh, if you do this and that, you could activate them. But like in sort of Columbo style, they knew the answer, but not how you were supposed to get there. Right, right. And I, I think they recently figured out like one of them was like the release date of the demo or something. You like took the digits of the release date of the demo and did some nonsense, and you know, it made sense. But I'm, I'm, I think there's still some questions about how you're supposed to get all the Easter eggs. What I'm learning from this is the perfect Easter egg would just be like an image of Peter Falk somewhere in the game that gets data mined. I knew it could But no one get. knows how to find it. <laughs> you can't bring up fits I, without. I, th- <laughs> I think it's just a calibration thing. If you want to put cryptic secrets in a game, you've got to... And if it's going to be popular, if it's something, you know... Like, global scale like you know more than 10 people are going to play you're going to have to make it incredibly cryptic because you're up against everyone working together yeah it's become a bit of a topic in the doom community as well recently uh i mean it's something me and rubix used to talk about a lot because when he was making jump wad and he was doing testing for it i think you know he was talking about how he had secrets that he didn't want people to find and stuff and he ended up putting like very like incredibly complex <laughs> like voodoo sequences and all this extra line work and stuff to cover up like he would cover up the fact that a voodoo closet was triggering things he actually put i think he put like a music puzzle in that let you figure out what the voodoo doll was doing or something so you had to, if you wanted to figure out how to open something you had to work out this puzzle uh first um and we talked about cuz i had secrets in in fractured worlds one in particular at the very end that i wanted that was put in as something that was just meant to be like fun just like a fun little easter egg thing it didn't give the player any benefits or anything i just put it in at the end and uh i toyed with the idea of hiding it because me and rubix have been having these conversations um and i was like ah maybe it'll be fine but then like literally day one um people just opened up the editor and immediately found it. And I was like, well, what's the fun in that, you know? Like, I put this in as just, like, a fun little thing and people just go straight into Doom Builder and pick it apart just so that they can say, I found the thing, you know? The fun is in defeating you, the mapper. Yeah, that's what it is. This is a game theory thing. Like, people want to use the optimal strategy or they're not going to use a suboptimal strategy. So they might, you know... Plenty of players might have a fair shot at working it out, or they might not mind, but if someone really wants to work it out, that's what they're going to do. Well, this so if you really want to make a Doom secret, you've got to find something that's not visible in the editor, like it's too convoluted to understand. Exactly, yeah. But, I mean, this secret didn't have any benefits. There was no, It wasn't in a map that had any monsters, even. It was just an ending map, and it had a little secret in it. Uh, and unmarked, too, I believe. But wow. people would okay. come into the chat and they'd be like, oh, there's a secret. And then the person would look around for it and if they couldn't find it, they'd just open the editor. So. Which is kind I of... I think that happened yeah. to me when I was playing it, actually. Yeah, there you go. I think so. I think Ponky's right, though, that I, I like this way of describing it as a calibration issue. And just now that we're in the world of mass information sharing and dispersal, if you want a, a deeply closeted Easter egg, you just have to really go nuclear with it. And 
I like the benefits of that in the sense that you can get like globally an entire player base working on the same puzzle together, like with these massive ARGs. Like I think uh, Inscription had one that was only very recently solved and it was something to do with uh, a piece of information you could only get on the console version of the game or something. I, I can't remember the specifics, but I, I think that we can do that stuff now and you couldn't do that stuff before this problem arose mm-hmm. that you're talking about Nirvana. Like it's the, the same thing causes both where it's like now mild surprises and otherwise clever secrets are ruined for the general populace. If you don't go full blockers up and don't look at any games media before you play it. But we also have the ability to work together as like a team of 50,000 to try and figure out this crazy secret uh, in this game together. And I think that's really cool. It's yeah. I mean that is true, uh, but the, I mean there was a big thread on Doom World about. Uh, I'm trying to remember who it was. Um, Naming names. I think it was Shoe Boy. Shoe Boy posted um, a thread on Doom. Well, he posted on a, pu- a public forum, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it, he was saying like he's not gonna do um, mark secrets anymore in his maps, and he was saying there's no point in doing it because of the way. Not a, I guess he was sort of saying, and this is something that I agree with, is that not only does he think, uh, like, people are going to do what I was talking about, whether opening up the editor or whatever, but I guess the discussion was also around the fact that it turns, like, the secret, like, the fun little secrets that you're putting in your map, it turns them into another number for people to go for at the end. Like, so many people... Like, Doom is definitely always been about like getting a hundred percent and stuff but i do think with the way like doom is on youtube where it's all 100 percent kills 100 percent secrets uv max like i feel like uv max has kind of taken over doom as the way to beat a map and so now everyone wants to get 100 percent secrets in a way that i feel like maybe they didn't before uh and i think it alters the gameplay experience for people where it's like well if I make a big map and it's got a lot of secrets in it, that number of secrets is going to make people play the map for a longer period of time than I would want them to spend in the map. And they're going to have a worse experience because of that. Because they're like, oh, I can't find these secrets. This map's too big. It's annoying. Like, I've been walking around for hours, like, looking for this stuff. And they treat the secrets as if, if it's part of this 100% number, I should be able to find the secret in normal gameplay like the difficulty of the secret (laughs) is frustrating to them which is you know completely against the point of what a secret is you know it's super interesting like the psychology behind they uh, they're just having fun playing the game but then they got to get the number up to have fun and then that (laughs) creates this weird feedback loop where then they get beholden to the number yeah Mm -hmm. and is it a secret is a secret a secret if it's mandatory you know if you're if you're aiming for that hundred percent and you have to find all these secrets like they don't feel as secretive and as optional but i i yeah i'm very interested in hearing ponky's take on this because you are you know a pretty accomplished developer of game projects and that's very kind yeah well that's true the compliment, you... not the cough. <laughs> well, the cough the I edited out. I edited all the coughs out. You have to well, keep it. That's going to ruin my inform the discussion. Quip. 
<laughs> you you were going to be shocked tonight to hear how often I clear my throat and cough, and you didn't know before now. That's the only reason I listen to this podcast. <laughs> for the edited out coughs. He knows when there was a cough. I'd love to hear your take on this because you primarily make puzzle games. So you seem to be the type of thinker who likes to tinker and puzzle and figure things out. Or at least that's how you express kind of the dynamism of, of your game mechanics a lot. So when you're playing Doom, is that an escape from that? And you just want to blow off some steam and not think? Or do you find yourself playing puzzly maps a lot to still get that same flavor out of it? Uh, what's a puzzly map? Oh, like Jump Wad or... Oh, gosh, no. Or Old Still uh, Life, platforming. I think, some neat ones. <laughs> that's true. Uh, so I, when I play Doom, I can't find any secrets. If there's a map that's got like a secret BFG and it's going to be a lot easier if you find it, I'll just struggle really hard and then look up on like DSDA to find out how people beat the map and then they get the secret BFG and I'm like, oh, okay. And I don't know if I... I have made a lot of puzzle games, that's for sure. But I kind of don't focus in on puzzle games so much. Like I think anything is puzzly at a high enough level. Like, Doom's a very thinky game when you play it. I mean, it's very action-y. It's different to sort of more relaxing puzzle games. But, you know, you get a combat puzzle. Often it's more about the strategy than the actual implementation. Like, if you get a decent strategy, you get a good feeling like, okay, that didn't work, but if I if I run that five or ten times, I'll probably get past this kind of feeling. Or you, you, you're trying to do, you're trying to like go through a combat puzzle and you're just doing horrible and you're like, what am I missing? What, what can I do differently? So well, I, the wad that I wouldn't you're... say Doom is not puzzling. <laughs> Are we allowed to talk puzzling. about the, uh, the wad you've been working on? Oh uh, yeah, I made half of wads. Yeah, so that's in process. And that I think is a fascinating wad. I can't wait for that to have its full release and for the wider community to see it because oh. It cut, well, I don't know. Yeah, what I am I allowed to, to say about this? Yeah, now you do. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, I, I made it. It's a difficult one to talk about. In the same way that Ponky Doom is deflated once you understand what it is, I tried to make a wad that's got a really bizarre take on uh, sort of combat puzzles. And I subjected Subed to a few of the levels, and uh, you had a time. It's great. It's phenomenal. <laughs> I think it's so smart and fresh. But yeah, I'm worried about what I say about it. Setting people's expectations way too high. Well, yeah, it's a very specific kind of niche thing. But I just, it to me, it's so funny because every time you dip your toes into Doom content creation, it seems like your goal is to gaslight the player. <laughs> As hard as you can. <laughs> That's all I ever do. As long as you can. <laughs> Which I'm is fascinated so by by um uh the psychology of playing game like the game theory behind stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I love social deduction games. Yeah. Uh which are um uh like Werewolf or Mafia or um Secret Hitler, I guess. I don't really like that one so much because it lacks depth. Uh Shots fired. Well, so does fascism. <laughs> Sorry, <go ahead. laughs> what now, Hitler? Um, <laughs> yeah, fuck you, like, Hitler. I, Get out of here. <laughs> Fight in the IRL, bro. I 
uh, find them just endlessly fascinating. I uh, can I toot your horn for you real quick? Uh, yeah, because you have a little Discord server that you rigged up a bot for, where you can play a werewolf town of Salem style game. Oh yeah, yeah. Just all through this Discord bot. That's that was so cool. I was in there the one night, played a few rounds, and. I was just endlessly impressed by that. It works so smoothly. <laughs> it's it's really nice. Like you found a way to gamify Discord in a way that I didn't know was possible. I just I I love about you that you seem to be able to take anything and just make a really interesting player experience out of it. Whether it's your game or not that you're modding, if it's just a fucking chat app <laughs> and you're like this is now a social deduction game. It's great. So I, I'm surprised to hear you describe your portfolio as not all that puzzly. Because it probably is. Most of the games I finish are puzzly. Yeah, I think I'd it say. is. Because it's a social deduction game, not a puzzle that you're kind of playing against oh, yeah, other super players. It's 100% a battle of minds, I guess. I mean, it's like poker or anything. It's all. The game is the game. Like, you could learn the strategies for poker pretty quick. It's not. A game that has depth mechanically. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of like when to do what with what cards and stuff. There's, it's a bit mathy in that regard. But ninety percent of that game or more is interpreting body language and you know analyzing other players. So like, is I don't know. I don't play poker, but <laughs> it's a deep game, right? Yeah. 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 Right. I yeah. also don't. Yeah. Like yeah. Depth comes from the second. I'm going to say that it's very shallow. Uh, just no. Just to throw a grenade in the conversation. It That's could be crazy. It's it's deeper than just what the mechanics are. It's no snap. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, it's you know, it's funny. Different game. It's funny you bring that up because there's a there's a betting mechanic in Marvel Snap, oh and God, Ben Brode had a. I actually thought it was a great lecture that Ben Brode. Marvel delivered. Snap is my favorite version of Lancy and Air. Okay, <laughs> that's certainly one way to look at it. No, that's, but he that's had cited mean. poker as a sort of an inspiration for the betting mechanic in Snap, and the reason that he brought that up is that poker has been around for hundreds of years, and it's still very interesting because of this betting mechanic. When do you bet? When do you not? And as you said, Ponky, it's a new player walks up to the table, and it's a new experience again, where you have to figure this person out. And how they play the game in order to get an advantage over them. So there's like poker's never been updated ever. There's never been a you know content what? update for poker. You didn't get the billion versions of poker. <laughs> well, but I mean like if you sit down to play like Texas Hold'em, like you can play that for a hundred years, and yeah, you don't yeah. need to change the rule set or add new cards. You know, like oh, let's add a gesture to the. Day. You don't need to do that uh, because you just sit down at a table with new people, and it's a completely fresh game again. So it's it's really interesting stuff to just involve the player psychology in anything and those emergent moments pop up uh, that you can take advantage of and then players kind of create their own fun out of that. I don't know. Am I talking in circles? No. I mean, I think the one of the most fun things to do when you're, when you're making something is, well, at least for me, I really just like to mess with player expectations. And I think player, like, Thinking about player expectations when you're designing things, like in my case, like designing stuff for Doom, is something that's really helpful uh, in terms of like trying to design something that's like more unique, I think. For instance, like 
um, in if you're making like a slaughter wad or something, a lot of the tendency is to have like there'll be a cyber demon, and, and when players who are good at that kind of content see a cyber demon uh, with a pack of other monsters, they think, well, I should probably keep this alive, and this cyber demon is probably going to help me to sort of clear out the pack of monsters because they're often used for like infighting uh, in those kind of fights. But one thing that can be really fun to do is to then be like, well, actually, the way the fight's designed, the cyber demon is the biggest threat. Uh, and if you do it subtly enough, then <laughs> you watch people who are like pretty experienced at this kind of combat just die a hundred times because they keep trying to keep this cyber demon alive who should not be alive. So like, even in a lot of subtle ways, making like combat puzzles and things like that, just messing with player expectations a little bit can make things a lot more interesting. Oh man, you are yeah. gonna love Science and Industry by Port Ponky. That's, that's the worst. But that that <laughs> is what you say there about the Cyberdeam. That is exactly the same as designing like a puzzle for a puzzle game. Yeah, you give them the pieces. And you get in their head and think their expectation is that you use these pieces to do X, but then you present X plus one to them. So you know they're going to try and do X and they're going to go, oh, that's that's not quite enough. This is impossible. And then really use the pieces in a totally different way to get X plus one some other way. It's all about getting <laughs> into people's heads and messing with them. <laughs> Which now that I say it out loud doesn't sound great uh, but, but it's, it's all, all you do well yeah it's interesting <laughs> it's all you do I, I mean i don't want to get too evening with nirvana here but i am a little interested in the process that you have for like building or at least like when you make a puzzle game is it all like rooted in i have this interesting idea mechanically so uh recurse for instance like the items are rooms and the rooms are items. That's the base concept. And then it's all like, how do I build like, you know, 10, 20, 30 levels out of this concept? I think a puzzle idea will give you as many levels as it gives. And some things are rich and they give you a lot of levels. And some things just have a few levels. And that's, you know, that's all, all the good. There's a game by uh, Ink Repair, who is a a very notorious game developer who's done hundreds of things. You might know him from Steven's Sausage Roll. Oh, uh, I love Steven's Sausage thing. Roll. Yeah, it's Ink Repair. He also did English Country Tune. But he did like a little puzzle game. He's done a lot of these kind of things. I can't remember what it's called. It's called something like Get the Candle in the Room Without It Going Out or something. And it's just one screen, and there's a candle, and you can move it around. And if it you do something the candle will go out and you've got to get in the room. And that's it. It's just one screen. It's a good little puzzle. And that's that's it. It's, it's just one level. And then you get the other end of the spectrum. You get something like Doom. And what's coming out to this day that are doing, like, interesting setups that are fresh and new. And they'll, people will be doing that forever. It's just so infinitely... Uh, designable so you reach a point in your puzzle design with if we use recurse as an example you're not trying to like get water out of a stone you'll you'll reach a natural point where you say that's probably all i'm getting out of that mechanic and you're happy to just move on like, you don't go digging for more it's just whatever comes to mind immediately 
and that's it or well yeah actually stuff gets cut usually <laughs> design a bunch of puzzles and be like well i'll get rid of a few of these they're not so good or they're too samey or you know that kind of thing yeah and that's why recursed is phenomenal and everybody needs to go buy recursed Ooh, i love how Sorbet does this for other people but not himself yeah, you should uh, <laughs> purchase or wishlist Boomerang. Exactly. Because that's a very good game. All right, that's it. I'm not releasing Get Boomerangs. and Boomerangs right now on Steam. Subscribe to uh, SoBad on Twitch. Yep. Uh, go to his Patreon, subscribe there. You've crossed him. me for the last time. <laughs> YouTube, SoBad Doom, <laughs> at SoBad Doom. Oh, the joke here is it's so bad. Pass the politeness. <laughs> The politeness event horizon. He's too polite <laughs> to, to the point where it's detrimental if you try and. Well, this is the persona he likes everyone to positive. see. But before every episode, he tells me you have to plug all of these things at least once, otherwise I'm not yeah. doing the podcast anymore. That's he said, true. I send him a list. He threatened both of us and said it had to look kind of ironic. Yeah. <laughs> And if I laugh while you do it, you just push even harder. You double down. <laughs> Don't let me change topics. Don't let me switch gears. Uh, let's get back to talking about Recursed, which is amazing. Oh, we'll see what you did there. Yeah, it's pretty good. I'm a damn professional. We've done like four of these. Um, this What I love to death about... <laughs> it's ruined as a strong <laughs> word. Um, yeah, you talked about with this X and the next plus one uh, idea... And that a player will try their first instinct that it a puzzle. It looks like the, the language of the puzzle is telling them it needs to be solved a certain way. They have their instincts or suspicions, but it can't be solved that way. And it results in the player thinking for a moment that it can't be done because they haven't learned or discovered the new twist on the mechanics yet. And what I found so impressive about Recursed, and I've said this before, but one of my other favorite games of all time, which is Baba is You, is how frequently I'll get into a puzzle and I will be convinced that you fucked up and it's not <laughs> possible. It can't be done. I'll get a friend in the call on Discord and I'll be like, I, I'm going to explain this game to you and then you're going to help me solve this puzzle because it can't be done. It's impossible. Ponky messed it up. And then and the you solution... Solve it whilst and explaining it. Exactly. And it's so yeah. obvious in retrospect. <laughs> and the ones that I think are... This is a very you thing because I think it comes back to gaslighting the player. <laughs> but the one I just messaged you about today, I was playing a little more recursed uh, before the recording of the episode. And what you'll do is you'll introduce these new mechanics, new mechanics, new mechanics. I'm learning all these new things. And then you'll have a scenario where the puzzle is solved with none of those new mechanics. And it's just something very basic, like a basic rule of the game, like you can pick an object up. Or you can jump, you know, and like that's the solution to the puzzle. Yeah, I know. So this is going to be very uh, lacking in context, but this is when you get to the last zone in Recursed and it's scary. And then the first level it throws at you has almost nothing in it, yeah. which I, I thought I was hilarious when I was making it. It is hilarious. I was stuck on that for like 20 minutes. Because you're and, expecting and your expectations are oh this is going to be huge it's going to have some maybe something new or it's going to have like you know something you're expecting something big and scary and it just throws you in an empty room and says hey work this out and you're like what this is yeah. like the start of the game exactly and it's, it's only like stuff I could do the whole time was all I needed to solve the puzzle and it's you you pace those out throughout 
the game, I find, uh, to, brilliantly. Uh, to go through like the whole game and make sure that specific instance did not show up anywhere. <laughs> Specifically <laughs> so. You know, and oh. it had to be natural so that when you get to that level, you're like, there's things I don't know. Because <laughs> when you design a puzzle game, certainly, you're like making the whole universe. It's brilliant. Uh, it I'm teaches the player not to into. overthink, <laughs> which is great. Every time you'll punish the player for overthinking every now and then. And it's kind of like it humbles me, I find. And then I approach the next few puzzles a little more modestly and I start having... Uh, a lot of fun again, uh, and I'm not like stonewalling myself, you know. Like it's, I don't know if that was your intention, but that's the effect I find. Where if you play oh, enough my puzzle intention games, is just to mess with people. Yeah, that sounds like you. Because <laughs> you play enough puzzle games and you reach that point where you can't figure something out, and it's just because you're overthinking it. And you step away, you come back, it'll be fine. So I like that you have those moments throughout the game where you kind of reset the player's brain. And then I don't have to leave and, and come back. You kind of slap me on the wrist and you say, stop being crazy. It's just, it's simple. Just think simply. And anyway, I could gush uh, all day. I've told you this privately. I think it's a brilliant game. You did a oh, fantastic that's, job. That's very kind. You fanboy. <laughs> <laughs> the, one thing I do like to do. Well, oh, Nirvana, you're dying to say something. Oh, I, I was just thinking during this, I had a great idea for a puzzle game. Uh, it's very simple. You put the player in a room, and then there's just a little platform they can't get up to. And you make it so that there's a jump key that you don't tell the player about, and it's assigned to a random <laughs> button on the keyboard every time. <laughs> oh, I made a game like that. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, recursed. No, no, recursed. that's not a random... <laughs> that does have random no, buttons. It's not controls. random, but I was trapped in the first... The tutorial room of recursed for too long, because I you didn't tell me what the grab button was. Or the jump. Oh, that, yeah, that's not my fault. That's you. <laughs> no, but there is secret. There's secret moves you can do in recursed. I don't know if you found any of them. I found the yo-yo one today. Oh yeah, you found the yo-yo. Okay, yeah. but I, aside from that, I made this experimental game that really sucked, but it was fun to make, based on magic tricks. So I have this internal theory that things like magic tricks and detective stories and jokes and puzzles and all sorts of things are very similar in formulation um, in that it, a lot of it is just about uh, how expectations change. In a joke, the expectation could change from the start of the sentence to the end of the sentence. I mean, a, a very good joke often will have the last word of the sentence completely flip everything, and the sudden kind of change in expectations and change in, or the, the realization you know, that makes people laugh, or it can do. Uh, and I'm not saying that's how all jokes are. I'm just saying that, you know, that's one way in which people can use humor. So I made this weird experimental game called Slight, as in S-L-E-I-G-H-T. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yep, Slight of Hand. Yeah, as in Slight of Hand, yeah. Uh, which is like a card magic game. And you, you, there's a tutorial. It's like, here's a deck of cards. You know, you can click to pick the top card. And you can press F to flip the card. And you can long click to pick up the deck and a few things like that. I'm going to completely spoil this because this game sucked. And then the actual game is just different magic tricks. I think there's only three. It's just common magic tricks that you might know, like um, uh, coin matrix and a couple others. 
so the, the kind of crux of the game is one it didn't tell you how to do the magic tricks it just sort of said do this magic trick um with like the instructions for what the audience should see but obviously it's a magic trick so you, you need to know uh-huh. the sleight of hands to get it to work and the other thing it didn't tell you is that there was loads of other buttons on the keyboard <laughs> to do other stuff with the cards because you know it's like magic a magician doesn't just like learn how to flip a card over and be like, okay, time to learn a trick. They got to learn all the secret techniques. So the game had these secret techniques built in. And it was kind of interesting. Some people were sort of a bit interested in it. Like it, it almost kind of worked, but not really. That's true magic. It's just annoying. The work behind magic finally revealed. Yeah, like you could press D to do a double lift. So it takes the top two cards. I mean, it never explains that, because obviously it's a secret magic move. <laughs> Do you want to hear and something? Uh, yeah, no, people people didn't love it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to hear something funny, actually, that I just learned last night in a very roundabout way? Uh, there was, I guess, the, I was watching Scrubs, uh, re-watching, and th- there was an episode where David Copperfield appears for, like, one minute or something. It's just a little guest appearance. And I was like, to my girlfriend, I was like, David Copperfield is someone, like, I've not heard that name in, like, 20 years. Like, what the hell happened to this guy? But anyway, she looked him up, and it turned out, at one point, he was married to Cindy Crawford, and (laughs) they had a contract that she had to go to a certain number of his magic shows and be in the (laughs) audience. (laughs) I thought it was incredibly funny. What? That's good marketing. Like they were so married. You gotta go see the Copperfield show because Cindy Crawford <laughs> yeah. might be there. I could sit next to Cindy Crawford. Yeah, but she's like, I'm not going to your fucking magic shows, David. And he's like, <laughs> okay. Well, you have to if you want to be my wife. Uh, sign this contract. <laughs> and then she was like, Okay. <laughs> so strange. I don't know which one of them is weirder. All of it's oh, weird. Man. Even the names David Copperfield and Cindy Crawford being in the same sentence is pretty weird. That sounds like one of those internet rumors that you go on snopes and find out isn't true 10 years after the facts like it's so bizarre that's very odd yeah that is so weird but yeah i wanted to uh ask Pon- i'm glad you brought this up ponky about uh slight because i played slight and i found it completely confounding i'm so sorry and uh you, you should be <laughs> <laughs> they, they can't all be gold um no yeah. it's really interesting but i've noticed in a couple of games that you've released you've done a thing where figuring out what the game expects of you or how to play it is part of the puzzle of the game. I've noticed, I've seen you do that a couple of times. I was playing a game today again, uh, your little block placing tile puzzle game um, that I'm so sorry, I can't remember the name of. If you do, feel free to plug it. Okay, great. Uh, I'm trying uh, to think which one you're talking about. <laughs> oh, no, no, uh, it's the... I don't know what it's called. I'll recognize it if you say it. I'm going to look it up. You want me to look it up? No, I'm looking it up. Okay, yeah, you're looking it, it up. Assassin's Creed. It's called No. <laughs> no, it's called Discovery <laughs> Jigsaw, apparently. That's right, yeah. Discovery Jigsaw. Um and I noticed wow, when that's you... a name I obviously spent a long time on. <laughs> <laughs> I only made it like last year. <laughs> you save your creative energy for the game mechanics, I'm sure. But you'll see uh I see comments in there uh of people like critiquing you for not properly tutorializing them and then you have to come in and say like no that's part of the game right as you're supposed to figure out what's expected of you so you seem to like to play around with that 
Do you think that it's a matter of maybe you just haven't quite nailed the execution of that yet? Or are you starting to suspect, pardon me, that that's just something that you're not going to get the average player behind? Like, what's the mentality there with that kind of thing? Do you think you'll ever be able to win over people having to figure out how to play the game for themselves as far as the base rules go? Uh, so, I mean, at least half of this is me just being a bad developer, not putting instructions in and then sort of wallpapering over it and saying, oh, yeah, it's, uh, it's by design. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, keep that in mind. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> anything... <laughs> That can be explained by uh, was it anything that can be explained by malice can often also be explained by incompetence something like that. Uh, for that discovery jigsaw one, so that was an attempt at making a a witness style uh, puzzle game. In that, a lot of puzzle games have this. Uh, not just puzzle games, a lot of games have this sort of built-in tutorialization. You know how in you know, in Mario, it teaches you how to jump for that kind of deal. Yeah. Um, but we jump over the Goomba and you hit the block. But a lot of modern games, you know, instead of having a tutorial that's just full of words that no one's going to read or care about, you know, they make the first few maps or levels a kind of like soft tutorial. And a lot of puzzle games do that. They'll introduce you a mechanic uh, gently. You know, they'll say, oh, you could push this block onto the thing, or you got to ring the bell, or, you know, cats are happy when they're on grass, or whatever the puzzle game is. And then it'll start throwing more complicated scenarios at you. Uh, but The Witness kind of did something different in that it was more like a science game than a puzzle game, in that it put a lot of onus onto the player to discover the rules rather than teaching them. And it does teach, but it also withholds a lot of information and it allows the player to come to incorrect conclusions that still work. So, you know, you, you think you understand something. And then again, this is all about expectations. You think you've got it and then you get to a new puzzle in The Witness or other games like that and you realize that you don't have it there's like another layer your expectations were wrong which is kind of what is good about puzzle games you know goes back to the whole you think it's impossible and then you realize it's possible and you get that kind of buzz inside going oh wait i got it now you know do you think i guess to maybe broaden so bad's question a little bit um do you think that like as when you're developing a puzzle game how difficult is it to have like a good balance between like being obtuse deliberately <laughs> which i mean you could argue that the sleight of hand or the slight sorry concept uh, is a little bit like that and then it's way too but obtuse, like yeah. to my mind there's there's sort of two categories for it right there's like being obtuse but it's a deliberate design decision and it's it's part of the gameplay experience like i feel like demon souls is a good example of like a game well some of that is definitely just design flaws but there are elements to that where it it, it appears obtuse to a lot of people and they won't play it because they're like oh well 
it's difficult for reasons that I don't understand why they would design it to be difficult or whatever. But to my mind, if you design something to be obtuse and it's deliberate and thought out, then I don't have a problem with it personally. But do you ever worry about, I guess, like alienating the general audience by making things obtuse, even though that's like what you enjoy in gameplay? It's a hard line to walk for sure. Um, you, <laughs> it's a puzzle game. It's got to be obtuse if it's straightforward. It's weird because people will say, oh, I'm playing this game and I got stuck and it's really frustrating. But no one ever says, oh, I played that puzzle game and I never got stuck once. It was great. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> because that's... I, I do think puzzle players are... There's a touch of sort of masochism to it, you know. You don't get that thrill of beating the puzzle if you don't experience the uh, arduousness. <laughs> Of being stuck. That's a great point. Yeah. Or if other people didn't, too. Like, I would wonder if the player base for, for puzzle games is also, like, very... Like, you would at least get a certain percentage of people that are there to be like, I completed these puzzles. Like, <laughs> I'm very smart because I beat your puzzle game. Oh, there's there's people who basically UVX puzzle games. Yeah. Um... You know, they they go, uh, they play all the hardest ones and they get 100% of everything and they, you know, do it in only a few hours or, or whatnot. And that's great for them. Uh, I'm not <laughs> it's into that kind of, I, I want to say toxic masculinity. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, if you play it and you get stuck, even if you give up, whatever, if you had fun solving it, that's great. Um, and there's definitely some people I've, had people play my games and say, oh, that was really good for like an hour. I beat it all. And I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> How did you beat that so fast? Like, you know, there's people who are just uh, on a different level. It'll be some <laughs> seven-year-old or woman or something, probably, who's like... No, it's usually like a 14-year-old. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, it's always it's like, the Yeah, kids. between studying for my PhDs, I just, you know, did that. I was picturing the woman from who, like, sold the Zodiac letters like immediately you know they couldn't get anyone in the <laughs> fbi to do it and then it was just some random like i think it was some random couple who just enjoyed doing yeah, puzzles a, together as husband and wife yeah ponky was this person for me when i, I was not the zodiac that. killer oh wait oh. continue <laughs> wait wait ponky's is it <laughs> we got him on no 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 well i mean who knows we haven't caught him yet right um, <laughs> she never will. <laughs> <laughs> it's the accent that threw them off. That's why they couldn't figure it out. When I put out that puzzle game in February, and Ponky, you were my first playtester, and you smashed it in like an hour and a half, two hours, I think. No more than two hours for sure. You made it through the whole game. Yeah. So I thought, okay, it's about a two hour game. I'm happy with that for a one month build of a puzzle game. So I put it out. And then everybody else, like teams of three of like really smart people I know would sit down with that game and six hours later, they'd be like, we need a hint. We're stuck. So like you for me were that person where I just, I don't understand how you piece that shit together so fast. But I definitely should have used more playtesters earlier because you gave me completely false expectations for <laughs> how easy that game was. As I've played a lot of puzzle games, you know. 
it's wild. But yeah, I think the I like uh, I like what Nirvana was saying. I believe uh, with the mentality of it, and I think it's it's not to the same extent, but it's sort of the same thing with the players who enjoy those Bennett Fodian. Uh, I heard Northern Lion describe them as alt F4 likes, which I think is fucking hilarious. <laughs> but those rage games. So it's like they play those because they're designed to enrage them. And since that's the point, it's supposed to feel like shit. Then it's good design when it does feel like shit. And that's therefore a good game. So if you're making a puzzle game and the point is for it to be confounding, and then it is then that's not a negative aspect of the game. If anything, it's a positive experience. You're seeking that out because you want to be uh, hitting the wall and not being able to figure something out. And that's the experience you're looking for. So I, I think that's that's probably the larger part of it and why, yeah, Ponky's right. Nobody is recommending a puzzle game that they didn't get stuck on anything on for the whole time. That's just, that's not a good puzzle game, right? Because you, you didn't have to discover well, it's anything. Not, it's not good for them. Yes, yeah, so of course. It could be yeah. good for like there's all levels of players. Good call. You're totally right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I do think like puzzle games have a unique place in terms of I don't know the dreaded term balance because if the puzzle game's too easy, it's people are gonna feel like they didn't get their money's worth, and then if it's too hard, <laughs> people will just be stuck and frustrated. And I think there is like a unique there's a uniqueness to puzzle games in terms of when you're stuck, they make you feel stupider than other games do. Like, if you're if you're playing an FPS and you can't beat it, I feel like, you know, it might make you feel bad at the game, but perhaps there's more that players can blame about the game itself when... Yeah, it's cheating. Oh, yeah, whereas with a puzzle game, I feel like you always are like, well, I'm just a fucking <laughs> idiot. Like, I can't figure this out. It's very personal. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I don't know. I tend to blame Ponky when I get stuck. <laughs> well, he is out there, like, deliberately designing ports to make your life difficult, so... <laughs> <laughs> I'd do it again. <laughs> you should. I would watch it. I'd watch it again. Um, I think... <laughs> I'll come up with new and interesting ways to, to mess with people. There's lots of uh, strategies that you can implement in your puzzle game if you want to be walling people so that they feel like they have to actually work to figure something out, but you don't want to be losing their interest in the game forever. And I think one of the simplest things, simplest ways to do that, and Ponky does this excellently in Recursed, is every time you solve a puzzle, you unlock more than one puzzle to then go into if it's just linear one puzzle to the next puzzle the second you get oh, stuck you're screwed the right worst when they get uh puzzle games where it's just one at a time oh yeah it's you, terrible. you've got no you've got nothing to bounce off and there's another thing that some games do really that, that irks me is where they grade everything perfectly so every puzzle is harder than the one before it and then you just get to one that's you get stuck on and you're like okay from here on out it's just gonna get too hard I mean, I try and sort levels roughly to difficulty, but like in recurse, I didn't care too much. I mostly sorted them so that from one level to the next, there was like a different like mechanical interaction. Yeah, they're very themed. So if there's a water level, the next one probably won't be yeah. water, you know. But I wasn't thinking, well, you know, this is... I mean, I put the really hard ones at the end. Of each set, like if there's one that's like really tricky, I'd be like, okay, that one goes at the end, 
uh, because I don't think people get mad if they finish everything but the last one. But other than that, I, I mostly just mixed it up. So there was, you know, it, it feels a bit more, I don't know, like you've got a fighting chance. Like if you get past this one, you're probably going to get the next one. Yeah, it's the it's the puzzle version of I just beat the first boss in the action game. And as I enter the next section, I get to just kick ass through the fodder again. Yeah, like I'm the strongest guy in town until the difficulty ramps back up. You need to give the player in an action game those moments where they feel powerful or it's just going to be a grind the whole way through. Yeah, this isn't exclusive to puzzle games. I see. I've played. Yeah, absolutely. I can't remember what it was called. I played some strategy game. It was like every level was just like an order of magnitude harder. I got about four levels in. I'm like, okay. Yeah, no, I give up. Yeah. I mean, I. And I, I didn't stick with it because I knew it was just going to be like a cliff face of difficulty. Yeah, I think it's like a, another player expectation issue in a way of like. Uh, <laughs> with a puzzle game, it's like if they get to a point and they felt that the trajectory has been really linear, then they're like, well, I'm probably not going to be able to do the next one. So why even continue yeah. at this point? Yeah. There's, you, you, there's no reprieve coming. So. The whole thing just seems arduous and uh, insurmountable. I'm wondering. And that's no fun. It's, it's all about getting in people's heads. That's all game design is. I'm wondering, uh, like, when you're making a puzzle game, because you you described it as like, well, you you have this concept, and then you present the player with X plus one. How often is there a temptation or? Or like how like how often do you think you want to add like why into it like where you're like well how about I have this puzzle game that has this core mechanic and then because I think for me sometimes in games like that one of the most interesting things that can happen is in the middle of the game you introduce an entirely separate mechanic and the two interact is that something that you aim to do or do you generally prefer it to have like the same sort of mechanic structure like throughout the game it depends on the game i guess um i tend to think of different ways like different mechanics i can add in and i tend to pencil them out and see if they would be interesting with the mechanics that are already there and if they don't work well with certain things you know maybe it's best not to add them i try not to add anything to a game because a it's more work and b you know <laughs> mechanical minimalism is really important uh yes i've definitely seen people <laughs> i'm getting i'm about to get roasted but i've definitely seen people design little puzzle games and then add like 30 mechanics and it's just a mess yeah you don't there's way too much going on yeah i think this was sort of what i was leading to was that and you put it nicely with mechanical minimalism where it's like how often do you think a puzzle game is actually like marred by having too many mechanics too many features and stuff when the developer probably should have just stopped at like the original concept and, and be happy with it yeah, I, yeah i've seen it with um especially with people who either it's their, like their first puzzle game and you know they just want you to put <laughs> i just know who you're talking about I, I, and i okay, respect so, you so much don't you don't have to name them and it's probably better that you don't but it's i'm just not funny specifically to... talking about one person i've seen this from multiple people oh okay okay um and you know 
uh, they want to put like, oh, well, I'll add portal mechanics as well, or I'll add X or Y or whatever, because I like them. And there's not like a cohesive idea for like what the game is. It's just obtuse. Like you said, how obtuse do you make it? Well, they're just going to make it really obtuse by overloading it with stuff. Yeah. And it ends up very like wide, but shallow. Like was the phrase, why does notion shallow as a puddle? But you really want depth for a puzzle game. You want to be looking at like the minutia of everything interacting. Like um, Because otherwise, where do you stop, right? Yeah, you can just keep adding stuff forever. There's a great level of Steven Sausage Roll near the start where, uh, and that game has a pretty brutal start where it just throws you in with like five puzzles and very little explanation. And it's quite a fiddly game, but there's a lovely level where it's pretty tricky and there's, you sort of muddle through it. You get your sausages grills, which is what you have to do, by the way. <laughs> which, uh, and then you've got to get your guy back to the starting position. And the obvious solution, which isn't easy to do, because it's a fiddly game, leaves you in a position where you can't get back to the start. And that's super interesting, because it's added nothing. There's no new mechanic or anything. It's just purely the like geometry of the level has res- it's given rise to a brand new problem. And then, you know, you have to think about that. And because it's Steven Sausage Roll, you're on like level three, so you're already like, why, why? <laughs> but it, yeah, it it's good to be. I, I think it's good to be uh, minimalist with mechanics. You want f- as few mechanics as possible, and they should be as rich as you could make them. There is stuff I cut out from Recurse. There is like um, f- Colds and Fire was going to be in it at one point. And uh, briefcases that you could throw upside down to turn levels upside down. Oh, God. Uh, we should do an expansion. But I got pack. cut. DLC. There's two DLCs. Yeah. Uh, and and neither of them those. had... No, I did make them. What? Oh, I thought you were talking about the fan uh, The fan made. Oh, yeah, there was a fan DLC as well. Um, the DLCs actually did not use mechanics that I cut from the main game. Because the ones I cut, I cut for good reasons. So, uh, so um, yeah. I heard you sort of say, like, oh, people, like, they'll want to put in a portal mechanic or, or you know, whatever. I wonder, because it's obviously beneficial in a, in a puzzle game to have elements that the player would be aware of from other sources. So they'd be like, oh, well, this is like a, I don't know what an example is, but, you know, this is this kind of number puzzle or or this is like, this looks like a Rubik's Cube, so you probably solve it like a Rubik's Cube or whatever it might be. And it's obviously beneficial to have those things in, because then you have this outside information that the player can use uh, in the game, and then maybe you can flip it on its head or whatever. But I would imagine so much of yeah. <laughs> making a puzzle game is also, this needs to have a unique concept behind it, otherwise people aren't going to like pick it up in the first place. So the, again, that must be another fine line of how do I bring in elements that are going to be familiar enough to the player that they're going to be able to work things out on their own, and then how do I flip this enough so that it's interesting? The uh, portal, so portal mechanics, for example, in the game portal, it's the only mechanic, pretty much. I mean, there's walking around, picking stuff up, 
uh, gun turrets, and you know that's about it. But it's just portals, and they're they're rich, you know. Uh, they connect stuff together, so you can travel to different places quickly. Uh, then you can do like jumping through them. You can stand in them. You know, there's all this stuff you can do with them. But you definitely shouldn't add portals to a game. I, I agree, it's familiar language. People will understand portals and be like, oh, I can do portals. Okay, got it. Everyone's played Portal. But everyone's played Portal. <laughs> they don't yeah. need portals. You're not going to come up with a mechanic that was like so good that it should have been in Portal. Because they kind of already did that with Portal 2. They put in all the extra bits and pieces. The bridges and the gels and stuff, you know, and that's that's fine. And people still make Portal 2 levels with these mechanics that are, you know, tricky. Um, but there's there's other mechanics. I don't want to start saying, oh, don't put X mechanic in or don't put Y mechanic in. Because any mechanic is good. I'm sure you probably could make a game that was had Portal mechanics in it and was good. Because any potential concept could have legs in the right, you know, in the right situation. I, th- I It's been a while since I've played the first portal, but if I remember correctly, the, the dividing line for me is that there's, you know, different mechanics introduced, like, oh, put this block on this button and it has to stay there and the door is open while it's on the button, etc. Oh, yeah. But yeah. every main puzzle is solved in conjunction with portals. Uh-huh. Yeah. If I remember correctly, or at least all the ones that I remember. Yeah. So... You're yeah, adding things to the they're game. Cowards. <laughs> <laughs> they never. You never get to like level eighteen, and it's like, oh, you don't need portals for this one. <laughs> that would be that's, pretty that's fucking funny. That's where the purity. <laughs> yeah, no. And like, if you use the portals, it's really detriment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a ponky. That's a ponky game for you, right there. Things because Valve actually has good playtesters that would tell them not to do that. <laughs> oh, Valve is so good. But yeah, I think I think what makes those additional mechanics not feel tacked on and haphazard is that they're always used in the context of portals. So you're thinking, I'm playing Portal every single time as you go, and it's That's only things I'm as thinking. you said, Bonky, that <laughs> yeah, work. When I play Portal, portals. just a consistent <laughs> drone in my mind, it's, I'm playing Portal. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't Left for Dead. <laughs> yeah, what the I mean, fuck? Where's the zombies gone? <laughs> I bought the orange box, right? Whereas, why am I not playing TF2 right now? Yeah, I think there's. I think one of the things Ponky is speaking to is a mistake I've made. Uh, you know, in my earliest puzzle games, and I haven't made a lot, but uh, it is this tendency to you have a new level and you think, okay, what's the new thing? Because you got to keep it interesting. But if every new level is a new thing, then the whole thing just feels kind of haphazard and unfocused. And so over the years, and I, it's only been like five years, but over the few years that I've been experimenting and, and putting out games or not releasing games because I think they're garbage, uh, the purity has been the defining factor for me and my happiness with the thing that I'm putting out. Because as we said, you can keep adding features to a game, but it'll just never be done. And if you can add whatever features you want, you need a metric for knowing when the game is done and it becomes something shitty, like how long is it? Is it a 30-hour game yet, etc.? Right, which is terrible. But if, it's, if your yeah. game idea is pure, like Ponky said, you're going for depth, not breadth, then you'll know when the game is done because you're out of ways to express that core gameplay element. Done. That's the game. That's a very nice place to wrap up the game and know that you're done and you have a very pure focused experience. And if you have great more ideas, uh, I said those adjectives in the wrong order, then you can go make another game. Right, you don't have to 
pump it up in the initial game. So I think it's all about focusing on what's the core thing this game is about. Don't stray too far from that. Everything that you bring in, incorporate it into that main mechanic. And then when you're out of ideas for that, the game's done. Amazing. You don't have to ask, you know, how much more do I have to do? Well, you can make a sequel. That's true. Like there's, there's a cool puzzle game called Five Step Steve, where you're Steve and you can take five steps uh, and you have to reach a flag and you can take another five steps. And it's really cool. Uh, and then there is a sequel, N Steps Steve, <laughs> where the flags have different numbers and it's a totally different game. But I think it's it would have been less interesting if the first game had like halfway through oh you can now do different steps like five step steve was a really good game and step steve is a really good game but five and then n step steve probably wouldn't have been as good as either of them maybe or maybe it would have been great i don't know <laughs> i can't criticize a i think i would have liked game. it more if it had an open world <laughs> it does have an open world oh <laughs> eat your words nirvana <laughs> You're obviously not a five-step Steve enjoyer. What a faker. I prefer 1,000-step Steve, where the world is bigger than GTA V's map, actually, which I read on IGN. I'm now going to play the game. (laughs) Oof. Metrics. Uh, Have you ever played uh, Elder Scrolls Part Two Daggerfall? No, I haven't. That map's huge. It's silly. Enormous. just so big. Isn't it like the size of Britain or something like that? What's the metric it they use? Feels like it. <laughs> yeah, I think my friend had played it and he described it as like a vast world completely devoid of any gameplay. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. It's got that kind of old creepy game aesthetic where it's just spooky as hell because everything is weird and nothing makes sense. But yeah, the the map there is um enormous there's like a million villages and if you walk from one village to another it'll take you about three hours <laughs> literally <laughs> it's huge it's like what's the point right what's the point other than to be huge for hugeness sake and if you don't fast travel that's a hundred thousand hour game right there wow it's the sign of a great game it's so good yep. <laughs> <laughs> overwhelmingly positive reviews i still haven't beaten this game that's <laughs> You should just do that in That's Doom, terrible. where it's just like a—it's like a really big map, but then there's just like a a silent teleport line, it just brings you, like, makes the illusion continue, so it feels infinite, and then just hide the auto map completely. Oh, just do like the yeah, uh, so it like teleports you backwards, but you don't realize it's happening. Right, like the Mario yeah. sixty four like infinite Mario, staircase. Yeah. That's exactly what I was gonna say. And then in order to beat the Doom map, you have to do like a backwards triple jump into. Into the staircase to fly through the Bowser door. Damn. No, you didn't. Because the Doom guy can jump. That's some esoteric speedrun knowledge right there. Oh, Mario 64 speedrun esoteric. I don't know. We called you out on not having played five steps, Steve, and now you're. Oh, wait. No, yeah. (laughs) Include me in this. (laughs) That's my initial reaction. (laughs) When someone says we, I'm like, "Mm." (laughs) hmm. Oh, man. I'm still just floored at the fact that there's DLC for Recurse that I didn't know about and haven't played yet. There's, yeah, there's the Ooblet Conundrum and the, the Last Tapestry. Oh my god. And they have uh, different mechanics. I'm never going to get any work done ever again. Oh, it's fine. Just don't play it. 
No, I gotta play. It's it. Easiest, it's so easiest way to finish a game is to quit. <laughs> because, uh, yeah, because then you're done. You're the player. You play on your terms. If you decide that you want to quit, then you win. Uh, assuming you manage to quit. I remember what are they playing? Assassin's Creed games was like twelve minutes to quit. Oh, I thought that was a VI joke. Oh no, no, that's my classic, uh, yeah, VI joke. Um, I have a friend that's well. Let's let's uh, use Emacs because the joke works either way. I have a friend who's been using Emacs for uh, twelve years because he's not he's not figured out how to quit. A <laughs> L- little bit of uh, Linux humor for you there. <laughs> we love you got like a tumbleweed sound effect or anything it's one of those folk song jokes it's just passed from generation to generation everybody's heard the joke nobody knows who came up with it i wonder if the person who came up with that joke feels guilty about what they've done to society well slightly mocking linux text it is yeah but just like with the same joke you know let's talk about games yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was gonna say that sounds pretty great. We were like talking about player expectations, and I feel like we we talked about like feedback a little bit. But I wonder how you like, like how do you actually action on feedback from people who are talking about puzzle games when, like you were saying earlier, it's like, well, this person could beat this this entire game in a couple of hours, and then someone might be stuck in the first room for like, you know, five hours. Great question. Devastatingly good question. Ponky? I'm an evil game developer, so uh, I don't use metrics for games. Some people put metrics in and like, oh, a lot of people got stuck on level 7, so make that easier. And that's fine, but I don't like that. Um, I don't make games with the intent of them being super popular, because... I tried that and it didn't work, so now I'm an artiste who just makes stuff <laughs> for fun. Which actually worked out better. I, I've, more people have played my games since I just made what the hell I wanted. Um, I do playtest stuff and I, I watch what people do and I don't ever <laughs> say anything. So, if you, if you like... Um, cringe video you know like cringe compilations you got to get quite thick-skinned i think because the temptation <laughs> is you're just going to jump in and be like look i'm sorry oh, this is on me <laughs> you know jump up there here's how you do it but you've just got to shut your trap and if they ask you a question just feed them a barnum statement like well what do you think and uh <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, even when it's anonymous yeah. and you're, like, just in a Twitch chat watching somebody play your stuff, sometimes it's brutal. Like, I watched someone looking it, oh. for a Switch that was not even difficult to find at all. Like, it was highlighted, it was right near where you needed to go, it was fairly linear, and they were just running around and they were like, this map, like, I'm lost. Like, this is way too convoluted. They were, like, complaining about how... Con- I'd never seen anyone not be able to find this Switch before. And I was just like, I can't say anything. I have to let this play out. Yeah. And it... <laughs> I find it almost always... I feel bad about it. Like, oh, yeah. I don't know if you felt bad about the Switch there. You always think, I could have just done a little bit more. I could have just made it slightly different. I um, think I raised the brightness by, like you know, like 24 or something after. Yeah. That. Yeah. You just, you don't want to make it, you know, painfully obvious. 
Well, yeah, like, where's but the cutoff? Like you have like, to do, I need something. to yeah, obviously. Do I need to put Sandy Peterson arrows on the ground, like, to lead people? <laughs> but you'll still get someone who'll be like, this strange symbol on the ground. This triangle with a square pointing in that direction. <laughs> like, you can't... <laughs> Well, that's a, that's the thing, right? And it, uh, I mean, you're saying like, oh, you had a lot more enjoyment when you're making stuff f for yourself, and it's difficult because I do think as a like when you're developing stuff. For me, early on when I was mapping, I took all the feedback on board, and I was like, I got to change this. I have to change this. But as I've gotten better at making stuff, at least in my opinion, um, you start to realize, okay. These are the things I want my testers to look at, and these are the things that even if I get feedback on, I'm like very unlikely to change because I'm happy yeah. with them and they function how I want them to. Yeah. You have to look at how people play and when there's issues, you have to really think, is that on me or is that on them? And it's entirely possible that the player, the play tester, is just, you know, not gonna be the right person for the game or the level not every game or level or whatever is going to vibe with everyone so you shouldn't necessarily i mean you could have a playtest session and it could go fine you could get a bunch of feedback and then immediately throw all that out because you could just think well this player isn't right for the game and they didn't enjoy it because it's just not the game for them and sometimes you just can't win too i mean i i put a sandy peterson arrow in my first ever Doom map that I released because I was getting the feedback that people weren't sure where to go in the final area of the map. So I put that Sandy Peterson arrow in on the ground to say, hey, go this way. And then I got complaints about my Sandy Peterson arrow. Like, that's bad design. <laughs> you know, and I was like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> do you want to know where to go or don't you? When you get, and it's, it's different players, yeah. but yeah. When you get feedback, when people play test games, they'll often say stuff, you know, oh, you know, make this more obvious or, you know, I want a stronger gun, or this isn't clear to me, or whatever. Uh, or they'll they'll make like specific suggestions, yeah, and ignore those. Ignore them. Ignore them. Yep. But find out why. <laughs> you know why? Why are they saying that? And then ignore that. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I yep. like I think it. Sometimes you like now for me, I will think of certain elements in like the map that I'm making or whatever, and I'm like, well, this is a litmus test for the player to see are they supposed to be playing my wad because i watch a lot of people i like i make generally pretty challenging stuff yeah it's always at the forefront i'm making something difficult if you don't like difficult stuff it's probably not for you i feel called out and a lot of the time i will put like a really like map one of fracture worlds is deliberately like a, a massive pain in the ass <laughs> like it it's meant to be super fast. You go in and the map just kills you like a it's bunch okay. of times. And that's But then like... it's got the platforming bit and that, that killed me. A hundred. <laughs> well it's easier. Times. I made the platforming easier on Hey Not Too Rough. So you can play on Hey Not Too Rough if you don't. Oh, did you that's very clear. Punky doesn't play on baby Dead No, okay, so the Doom community is just a bunch of people telling each other to stop playing on ultraviolence. Yes. That's the whole Doom community. Everyone's like, We're trying. No, no, I'm going to play it on UV. But you should you should drop down to I'm Too Young to Die. I'm playing on UV, but you should. That's cool that you put uh, <laughs> as a voodoo closet, I guess. Yeah, so problems. it's a voodoo. Yeah, yeah with a, that's pretty cool. a voodoo closet with a lost soul that's not there. 
on other difficulties, and it blocks uh, uh, the voodoo from triggering. Ah, very cool. Yeah. And then, yeah, so it also changes, uh, like, pain sectors. It removes pain sectors from certain areas. Uh, and then it oh. opens teleport closets to let people out of pits so there aren't, like, inescapable pits on Hey Not Too Rough. Whoa. You put too much effort in. <laughs> no one's going to play it on Hey Not Too Rough. I Some people actually did, yeah. and it was really gratifying to see people actually awesome. use the yeah. fucking difficulty menu, I will say. <laughs> That is awesome. So I hope you yeah. hope you made fun of them. Yeah, it was like <laughs> come on, playing bitch man. UV or bust? What are you doing? <laughs> no, that's good. That actually really support yeah. difficulty levels. I'm just having a meme. Oh, I remember watching you grind yourself up against uh, my map and uh, just refusing to turn the difficulty down and saying it was for little babies. <laughs> and, uh, I can't well, remember I, if okay. I actually said that. Let's not mince words did, here. Like, it is for character. little babies, but you have to facilitate <laughs> the little babies. Sir. I beat the map. What more do you want? Uh, I, uh, we're coming up on the end of the episode here. I wanted to jump back just a touch to the one thing that I think is really important that came up at the end here, which is assessing feedback. Uh, that's been given to you because it applies to everything. It's not just game design. It applies to, you know, if you're writing a book and you're getting feedback on that book, what Ponky said is so absolutely uh, the way to think about it, which is that you need to ignore the content of the feedback, what they're telling you to change, what they want you to do. Garbage, worthless. If they're ever right, it's sheer coincidence. But you need to figure out why they think that that's a change that needs to be made and then make a change that will correct why they're feeling that way. You know, you might write a script where someone says, I don't think this character should have made this decision. They should have made this other decision in that moment. You don't go in and write it. So the character makes that decision. That's a terrible way to use that feedback. What you should say is, Oh, so this person isn't getting enough of a justification for the decision this character made in this moment. So I need to improve the justification earlier in the script so that when the character makes that decision I need them to make, it sells and it works properly. And it's the same thing with game design. If somebody's telling you that, you know, you need to make the switch brighter, it might not actually be the case. Maybe the switch just needs to be on the opposite wall of the room where people are more likely to be looking when they finish the fight or, you know, whatever the case may be. But you definitely, you can't take feedback at face value because if you ever go on Twitter and you see what people are saying about changes that need to be made yeah. in popular games. Oh, it's just the stupidest shit you could ever imagine. Don't, don't go on Twitter. You ignore it. Yeah, but that's better advice, I think actually. I actually slightly disagree. Really? Okay. Because there's different kinds of feedback. For example, if you wrote a book and then you gave it to a technical um editor or let's say let's say you wrote a sci-fi novel you give it to someone who's a chemistry professor and then say they say oh you've made a big mistake with the chemistry here well you, you know you can't if you mix the x and y you don't get that chemical that's nonsense then you should listen to them then <laughs> that's yeah. technical feedback absolutely and yeah. that can happen in games you can get you know um people will say you know this audio is clipping or uh, you know, this flickering is, you know, seizure uh, frequency. You know, you need to 
do something about that. Yeah. You know, there is definitely technical feedback, which you should take at face value and listen to if it's coming from someone who is an expert in that uh, field. Most gameplay feedback, or I would probably say all gameplay feedback, is layman feedback because you not really, you can't really be an expert at playing video games. I mean, there are people that do it professionally, but they just play like StarCraft or League or something. But there's not, it's not a category of things to be an ex- like you can't be an expert at having a good time. Um, so all of that feedback is going to be like layman feedback, which you should definitely filter but technical feedback from experts you should probably listen to (laughs) i think totally agree great addendum thank you i think i would add it i would maybe alter it a little bit at least from my Uh, i can't keep changing my opinion nirvana well i i I will say to start i like i went to i went to university for writing and we had the exact same like the, the teachers there said the exact same thing of like when you're giving feedback to people about their work, don't give specific feedback. Don't tell them, hey, like, I, this character did this. I think they should do this instead. Like, that is literally useless <laughs> feedback. <laughs> uh, so that was, like, an important part of, like, the process was actually learning how to give good feedback, which I think in turn helps you uh, learn how to improve your own stuff. But I think for me, my experience with testing, when I test my my do maps i have like a group of people that i have for like you know i guess what you call more like in like internal testing or alpha testing or whatever like that's my initial group and i usually like i would say if you're testing something you want to create context for your testing so like punky saying you might have technical issues like hey guys can you look for bugs in this hey can you make sure this fight is like challenging enough if you're looking for something like that then feedback from a good player who tells you well no there's like a cheese strategy you can use where you can do this and this and if you specifically don't want that then that's something that you can fix you know so i think for me a lot of it is have feedback that you can like contextualize if you want very specific things to happen in your in your game or in in your like mod or whatever but then when it comes to like the general feedback you're going to receive when you release this thing publicly uh then yeah i think so bad's advice like definitely applies yeah and i think what you're saying falls directly in line with what ponky's saying which is that you you have now created a group of experts that you trust on these specific things and then you're asking them for their expert opinion but the asking is important. Yeah, you absolutely. have to be clear in terms of what do you want from your testers? Like if I give them the thing and I just I'm like play it and just give me whatever feedback, then they're just going to give you their initial thoughts and feelings on it. You if you want specific feedback, you have to ask for specific feedback. That's right. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was talking to uh <clears throat> a friend of mine, well a friend and mentor um, who's an excellent playwright. Me, yeah. And it's Ernest Hemingway, I've worked it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. Oh man. Yeah, Hemingway wishes. Uh but I loved the way he phrased it once where he had decided that when he's looking for feedback, that what he starts asking people is he just would give them a play to write, and then they would 
you know, be ready to submit the feedback. And he would just ask, what did you see? Just tell me what you saw. And, and that's it. And then they just kind of explain their understanding of the work without trying to target anything. And then he found that to be very useful feedback. So it's kind of, it's the opposite of the situation, Nirvana, you've set up for yourself with your little cabal of experts, but the purpose is exactly the same where you're, you're getting the specific shape of feedback that you're looking for by being specific about you want, about what you want, or in this person's case, being like specifically vague about, you know, yeah. what they don't want you to dig too deeply into or, or what have you. But yeah, that's a great point that you make that um, you might want to get a little circle of people that you trust and to give you good targeted feedback and uh, use that as your little panel of experts. But when you're getting that layman feedback, as Ponky's describing, you need to contextualize that properly, that it's not expert opinion and probably what they're specifically telling you to do is uh, just going to be dog water. If they're not a game developer <laughs> or if they're not whatever the thing is, then yeah, it'll be trash. <laughs> they, will, they don't have any context for all the consequences of what they're suggesting. They just suggest like what yeah. they want in some instance that has no reflection on anything. Oh my I mean, how many videos have I sent you of like, you know, YouTube essays where they're like, here's how you make a good such and such game, and then the fine print is uh, they've never made a game before. Uh, let's look into that. That's the whole other episode. I feel like <laughs> yeah, true. people who think <laughs> they're experts in things and think they're the arbiter of like what's good and what isn't in any kind of media some of my most loathed human beings <laughs> i think <laughs> anyone who thinks uh, highly of themselves at all no what, people, what well, i love is people at that people point in the dunning kruger effect i guess <laughs> oh okay i love when people try and define things like they come in with an expert opinion that they've made up <laughs> from the university of their own arse and they say well i think really a game is like a it's a expression of rules towards a goal and uh for the purpose of creating fun and like you know they'll create some definitions and stuff anytime i see one of them after my skin stops crawling i actually find it almost inspiring to just decompose what they said and say i could think of a dozen game ideas that don't fit any of those definitions and you know Maybe I'll go make one. And that's why you're the best. Uh, it's real 10th grade book report style. Yes. In the Oxford Dictionary, the word video game is defined <laughs> as a series of puzzles. <laughs> Each more confounding than the last. Uh, terrible. Well, I suppose uh, that's probably our time. Uh, Ponky, is there anything that you're working on right now that you want to plug or anything you've got out there that we haven't already tooted your horn for you about i'm always working on random things um yeah so mostly youtube comments <laughs> just <laughs> that's I, where you do your finest work but i spend at least four hours a day leaving stupid youtube comments i've um, shadow banned you on the podcast sir they'll only uh, appear for you now phew <laughs> that's a good move <laughs> well my goal is to get shadow banned from every channel on youtube <laughs> All right, well, I guess I'll do it for you. Uh, you know, keep an eye out for Ponky's Doomwad Science and Industry, which will definitely be finished at some point and released, right? You're welcome. Thanks. And uh, any more updates coming to Mobile Crime Lab? You know, I'd be excited. I kind of half made that. an update, and then I got bored. Did you really? 
Yeah, it's got all that stuff, but eh. <laughs> like maybe it's <laughs> run its course. He needs maybe some we'll feedback see. about it on Twitter if you want to hit him. <laughs> please, please. <laughs> listeners, Tell him exactly listeners, what to do. Listen to me. If there's one thing you do, make sure it's not go on Twitter. Never do that. Never go on Twitter. Go on threads. Or, uh, no, just don't. <laughs> Step away from the computer. Clunky's <laughs> advertising for threads. Big Zuck fan. <laughs> Oof. Oh. <laughs> Recursed is on Steam. Check that out for sure. It's absolutely brilliant if you love puzzle games. Ponky, thanks so much for coming on, hanging out, having a conversation. Hope it was fun. It was fun. Yeah, thanks. Awesome. Cheers. Wonderful. You want to keep having awkward small talk now at the end? Let's just keep throwing out adjectives about how good it was. <laughs> <laughs> let's just keep let's just keep adding features to the end of this podcast episode. Yeah. Kissy noise. X plus one. I already did that. Damn it. <laughs> No unique ideas in gaming anymore.